Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally, reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Welcome back to Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. This is the very first YouTube video ever that I've done. Well, maybe that's not exactly true because for sure I had my embarrassing moments in high school, but this is the first legit video that I've done. And I just want to remind you of the events that are happening this week for those of you who have followed me for a little while or have listened to the podcast, you know that I always give an update on the events that I'm doing throughout the week. So every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, I am on Clubhouse with my friend Megan Hool of the Megan Hool Method. She also has a podcast called the Pivot with Purpose podcast, which I was on. Head to my website and my uh, link tree to find the episode. Anyway, we do a Clubhouse room called What's Your Pivot Story? And it's incredible. I know that it's one of the rooms that I co-moderate, but I'm truly saying that it is incredible. It is just such a safe space. It's a place where people are really sharing openly, vulnerably, people that I probably would have never met if it weren't for Clubhouse. So it's I highly recommend that you join us. If you do need a Clubhouse invite, just let me know. I'm happy to um, send you an invite. I have a few left. The other event that I have um, every Tuesday is at 9 p.m. Eastern, and that is office happy hours. And last time, well, based on when I'm recording this, yeah, last time I I did have an adult beverage. So we'll see in the coming weeks if I also decide to bring adult beverages. If you're over the age of 21, then feel free. Otherwise, just bring yourself, bring some questions, and meet me there. That's on Instagram Live. On Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, I'm in another clubhouse room called navigating your career in the new normal. We used to talk a lot about change, but now we've started to filter in some things like tools and strategies and things that can really help individuals navigate um, their careers and whatever's going on in life. So I co-moderate that with three other women, and sometimes we have other people on, gentlemen we've had on in the past, other women we've had on in the past, so on and so forth. It's a really, really cool event, and there another another great room where people just really share openly what they're experiencing. And so I hope that you can join us. Without further ado, let's get right into the discussion. Welcome everyone to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast and first ever YouTube video. I'm joined by Anne Yeti, Essien, and Christina Farinacci roberts today. And we are going to talk all about why wellness and DE&I combined are the path to harmony and I'm so excited for this discussion and to be here with both of you today so I'm not going to take up any more time I'm going to jump right into it because I know I'm not the only one excited but I would love and I'm sure a lot of whoever is listening would love to hear what Dynamic Dialogues seeks to achieve as a company your company Dynamic Dialogues and what inspired you both to include wellness in the DE&I discussion. 
So I will take the second part of that question. So what inspired Christina and I to create Why Dynamic Dialogue? So Tracy, first off, thank you so much for the invitation uh, to join you today. Um, We are thrilled to be part of this podcast because Christina and I found ourselves creating a pretend podcast at the start of this pandemic called Why Dynamic Dialogues. It was really an opportunity for us to really process All that was happening, our businesses were disrupted. She had been working in the education space, um, has been a seasoned veteran educator, 20 years in the the business, and had uh, educational and equity consulting business that was being disrupted because schools were shutting down. Meanwhile, I had been working in health and wellness for 20 years as a former corporate wellness executive and had recently launched a, a wellness startup that was all envisioned around having live event business model, right? And so here we are in the beginning of the pandemic and we are just sort of really holding on to each other in a raging sea, right? To sort of really process all that's going on. Well our small but mighty podcast, right? Grew to have a wild success. We got to 10 subscribers, okay? Mark me as 11, send me the link. One of those 10 subscribers was a global head of people for a legal services firm who had seen us grappling with a lot of the emerging developments. So for example, we saw that women were leaving the workforce, okay? Christina, as a caregiver, when her mom had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, she knew that road very well. We saw that burnout was becoming a major issue. I, as a former burnout survivor, had been really, really close to that issue. And then, of course, the George Floyd incident happens, right, which changes everything for business leaders. And so our friend reached out to us. She'd seen us having these cross-cultural conversations, which, by the way, date back over 30 years, because in second grade, I marched up to Christina. I said, my name is Inyeti, and I like pizza. And we were fast. And that was the start of a beautiful friendship. (laughs) So we had first of all pizza. (laughs) We we bonded over our love of pizza, but had been having these awkward conversations for many years. And so we wanted to create a space where folks could really engage in dynamic dialogues that would really be able to drive towards meaningful outcomes. So Christina, if you want to kind of touch on what we like to um, focus on as we're advising business leaders, I think that'd be great. Yeah. So, you know, with the creation of Why Dynamic Dialogues, which stands for Wellness, Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity, um, we really designed this like holistic, human-centered approach for organizations to really chart their wide path, right? So that they could create brave spaces and grow bold leaders. Um, We kind of recognize that you know, HR departments, they've traditionally sort of focused more on being compliant um, rather than maybe being a catalyst for that substantive and, you know, sustainable change. So, you know, we decided the future is now. We're the ones that we've been waiting for. And um, we just set out to create this like more innovative, engaging um, set of solutions that uh, we're going to address sort of the three biggest challenges that we saw, you know, CEOs and HR leaders um, kind of grappling with. So the first one was sort of around unconscious racial bias trainings, um, which really are more centered around building cultures of inclusivity, right? Um, We also saw the huge issue with burnout and organizations needing to figure out prevention and mitigation for that. Um, And then thirdly, we saw it um, a a real need for women's leadership development, especially as Nyeri noted, um, 
when so many women right now are being forced out of the workforce. Um, and so those, those were really key for us. Um, and then the impact that we want to have in terms of our work, it's really, it's far reaching, right? So we are trying to tie wide strategy to actual business, business growth that, um, is not only going to lead to increased job creation, but also that more diverse um, and inclusive um, hiring, right? We also were thinking about, you know, women and people of color being sort of disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. Again, more likely to exit the workforce. Um, and we really wanted the programming that we would create um, just to create more equitable outcomes and just empower everyone to, to thrive more, to flourish. And so we're partnering with different organizations to increase their profitability and their impact by really centering um, everything around employee wealth being. And really, it's because at the heart of their business, they want to protect their number one asset, which is their people. I love that. First of all, you're so right, both of you. I mean, the people element, that's what drew me to both of you when I, I think that we met through Clubhouse. Christina, yeah. I think I first met you and then, and Yeti. And it's incredible to say that we're meeting people virtually. Yeah. And, and I tie all of this in, in terms of how you see wellness and diversity, equity, and inclusion. What really drew me to both of you was that you were bringing wellness into it. And I even said to my supervisor, I was like, how did I never think of this? How did I never realize <laughs> how closely connected wellness is to DA and I? Yeah. And you know, we've we've launched a, a lot of different initiatives and at my company that also include wellness. And I was like, still not getting it. Like someone had to beat <laughs> me over the head with it. And I'm just I'm I'm so grateful for both of you for being here and for sharing on a, and really collaborating on a really important topic. So well, we loved your, the name of your podcast to us is what we felt had a natural alignment. The fact that you were trying mm -hmm. to bring the human back to human resources, we were like right on brand. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love when we can come together. Um, and actually my, one of my questions for you is really around the small steps that companies can take that would really have a huge impact on wellness and DE&I. What are those things? So I think you hit the nail on the head, Tracy, when you talked about why wellness needs to be at the center or employee well-being needs to be at the center of the conversation. I think when folks think about the past year we've all had, right, we've got a global pandemic on our hands, which is raging all around, which is really affecting our physical health, but also our mental well-being, right, those sort of far-reaching implications of the pandemic. We've also got an economic downturn, right, which is changing the way that business is being done, right? It's disrupting mm -hmm. the very ground with which we stand on, right? And then we've got these social justice issues, right, that are going on that have both mental well-being implications as well as physical health implications as we're sort of navigating this path ahead. So it was really this perfect storm, this trifecta, if you will, or a triple mm -hmm. threat that was really affecting organizations' bottom lines, right? So when we think about sort of this daunting task of planning in the midst of uncertainty, it can be overwhelming to figure out where do we begin, right? And so we right. empower organizations with the tools to make strategic decisions. So my background is in strategy, right? So I'm all about how do we move the needle so that we grow both the organization and the individual. And so it's really about thinking about what are the initiatives that we can make the biggest impact on, right? Where are the areas of greatest need 
And what are the specific needs that we're hearing from employees, we're hearing from the workforce, so that we can better tailor those solutions. So it is an exercise of really understanding and wrapping our arms around what can feel like a fast moving target to be able to quickly identify where can we get the biggest bang for our buck right now. In the past, historically, we're used to doing long-term strategic planning, right? So I teach a strategic planning course for healthcare organizations. We're used to doing those three to five-year plans, right? The pandemic changed all that, right? The theme for Christina and I was plans have changed, right? And we Mm -hmm. recognize that we can't be the only ones whose businesses have been disrupted. Everyone is sort of starting from a blank canvas, so to speak, right? So how do we actually equip organizations with the tools to plan amidst uncertainty, to be really strategic and really impactful in where they focus their efforts. So Christine, if you wanna give like a concrete example of how we pull that all together, I think the 21 day harmony journey would be a great starting point. Yeah, so you know, one way that we do invite our clients to take that small step is by participating in our 21 day harmony journey. So the 21 day harmony journey was actually explicitly created to address the exact needs that Anyeti was talking about, right? It's a cutting edge anti-burnout campaign and it's responsive to you know the pandemic pandemic's unique challenges and those emerging needs that have come about, right, for this virtual and remote workforce. So we had a lot of people who were asking us to create an anti-burnout workshop, which kind of made us giggle a little bit because we were like, well, if you're going to do a workshop, it's probably going to be via Zoom, which is actually contributing to burnout. So it didn't seem like a good solution. So um, what we did instead, um, using my pedagogy background, right, I said, why don't we do some micro content, right? So there's this idea that over the 21 days, people can consume this um, in little five minute bits. So um, some days it might have been a video, other days it might have been audio, sometimes it was like a little exercise or diagnostic, but we were able to cover a larger amount of content than if we had been forced to sit in a 60, 75, or even 90 minute um, Mm. workshop. So we covered the signs and symptoms of burnout. We um, also referred to the Kaizen method, which is a part of Edem Sparks um, framework uh, that covers the nine essentials of total health. So um, normally a traditional way of looking at wellness in the workplace is just focusing on people's physical health, right? Like move more, eat less, or eat better. Mm-hmm. And um, we reference the uh, Harvard School of Public Health's Flourishing Index, which has a much wider definition of um, the nine essentials of total health. So that includes physical health, mental health, emotional health, uh, I mean, spiritual health. We also have career satisfaction and financial stability, which I think people don't often think of as part of your health. Um, Also close relationships and social connections, which clearly have been affected during this pandemic. And then lastly, meaningful purpose and playful living, which again, if you lose your job, which a lot of people's purpose comes from that, or it's you've been shifted into another role Mm -hmm. that can really affect your overall total health. So we covered those things. We covered um, practical things like um, self-care techniques, but we also we also touched upon things like leadership, right? So as a team lead, how are you modeling self-care? How are you promoting wellness in the workplace? Um, you know, when you have a start of a team meeting, are you driving right into the work? Or are you taking a minute to say, hey, how are you doing today? And when somebody says, fine, are you saying, but no, really, really, how are you doing? You know, like pushing it beyond the trait. Um, and then uh, lastly, we also um, engaged employees Um, to share their thoughts on particular policies or practices that they um, wanted senior leadership to know could maybe help their well-being um, 
And so again, it wasn't necessarily like a like a wish list, like no matter what they say, the the senior leaders were going to do it. But what it did do is it gave um, sort of intel and and gave insights on how, as an organization, can we either reinforce and build off existing initiatives, or where can we use this as a catalyst to then drive future initiatives. I think um, what we what we thought about when we were creating the twenty one day harmony journey is that yes. In some respects, it's it's like more obviously a, a wellness initiative. But what we saw is those ties, tie-ins that you were saying, Tracy, about how integrated they are. So mm. not to anyone's surprise, um, women and uh, people of color were disproportionately at risk for burnout. Mm. They were also disproportionately experiencing burnout. And then they were disproportionately being forced to leave the workforce. So what what this program did is it allowed, um, it almost became a test of the organization to see how one, uh, aware they were of these and then how responsive were they being to these and how could they be proactive in the future in helping to mitigate and prevent burnout for their most vulnerable populations. Wow. First of all, I love the word harmony and you both use this throughout, I mean, on your website and Mm -hmm. even in the title of this discussion. And I think of harmony and it's so, um, it's a spiritual word really in a way. Like it really just makes me think about music and, Mm -hmm. and togetherness and really kind of blending all of those elements that make us happy. Tracy, you just gave me goosebumps right now. I just got goosebumps (laughs) when I'm like, maybe it's because I lowered the heat so that my heater wouldn't go off in the background. But okay, so we're both on the same page here. No, I mean, I, I am just so inspired by that. And, and I was thinking about when you were saying 21 day, 21 day, I think I might be wrong in this, but I think that they say it takes 21 days to build a new habit, right? Yes. So that I think about how 21 days is actually so effective because you're taking that those micro moments um, Mm -hmm. to really break down what the routine looks like, what the new habit needs to look like. And then you're that's like an investment there because now you're that when I think of companies that do training like that, Mm -hmm. I think about how and and I've been lucky enough to go through similar trainings, but Mm -hmm. not necessarily as well developed as Mm -hmm. yours. And those are investments not only in the short term, but long term investments in their their abilities to be better leaders, Mm -hmm. better people, better employees. So I really commend both of you for what you're doing. And I love that harmony. I love that. Like is it, oh eHarmony right? They bring people together. <laughs> like, now it's a, now it's a dating conversation. Yes. I always bring it back to love. I always bring it back to love. I would uh, you know we have before I go on to the next question. I mm-hmm. will preface by saying all of this is making me think about psychological safety, and mm-hmm. we have a few questions that were submitted that we're going mm-hmm. to talk about at the end here. Mm-hmm. So if you are about to turn off this YouTube or the podcast, stop because there's some juicy stuff coming at the end here. Um, so I want to table that and come back yeah. to it because I think we have some good questions that talk through that. But I'd love to hear um, if there are any misconceptions around DEI or to DEI that you work hard to overturn with leaders or companies that you're working with. And do you have any idea on where those misconceptions come from? Sure, I'll tackle this one first. And then, Christina, I'm sure you'll have some additional insights to share. Um, you know, I think one of the mi- biggest misconceptions is siloed thinking, right? That DEI mm-hmm. is a separate function 
um, a separate area of the business that is not sort of integrated or connected in any holistic way, right? You just touched on this concept of harmony, Tracy, right? Mm -hmm. And and we found that this old concept of like work-life balance is outdated, right? We feel like there's this zero-sum game where we've got to make a choice. It's either I have a successful career or I've had a successful life and the two don't intermingle, right? right? When the reality is that one reinforces the other. Mm -hmm. It's the same in the business, right? Where we think about how can DEI actually be a catalyst for organizational growth, right? Rather than a separate um, and independent function. And so that is one misconception that we have to address right off the bat. I think the other Mm -hmm. misconception that we've got to address is whose responsibility, right? And we'll probably get Mm -hmm. to this later in the discussion, but that folks who are in um, underrepresented groups or underserved groups or folks who have traditionally marginalized identities, right, that the burden to solve DEI challenges often rests on those shoulders, right? And so really Mm -hmm. thinking about where we create a space where um, everyone has a stake, right? Everyone has a vested interest in the outcome, right? And the improvement and growth in those areas, I think, can be really powerful in terms of getting stakeholder buy-in across the organization, but also moving those initiatives further. So, Christina, I'm sure you probably have additional thoughts. As yeah, well. I mean, just to elaborate, you know, and Yeti mentioned that often it's the people who have marginalized entity identities that are um, sort of tasked with leading the initiative, whether it's in ERGs or being a part of a diversity committee. And it's great in the sense that we're inviting people in and elevating their voices, but it also usually comes on top of their normal day job and without mm-hmm. actual any type of compensation, right? Other than like, great job, thanks for stepping up, right? Um, so it, it it does beg the question if that's further marginalized people, uh, marginalizing people, and not even always recognizing that um, there's a difference between an invitation and sort of a demand or a requirement, right? Because we forget that there is an emotional burden and labor that comes with consistently having to either share your trauma or past trauma or like navigating those conversations. And I think well-meaning, well-intended people um, invite folks to the table, not realizing it could be exacerbating an issue. And so I think Mm. that's where um, people who maybe have some tangential connections who can step up and can like, um, can refer to those people and use them almost in like an advisory capacity, but then not force them to be the one who is the star of the show, if that makes sense. Yeah, this makes a lot of sense to me. Actually, if I can share a story, when uh, George Floyd was murdered, we obviously as a company, Mm -hmm. I I would think it's obvious, but some companies Mm -hmm. have maybe not been outspoken. We were very outspoken about our Mm -hmm. stance with the Black Lives Matter movement and social Mm -hmm. and racial justice and all of those things. And I remember um, as an HR, like leadership group, senior leadership Mm -hmm. group, we were like, we cannot ask the marginalized group what to do. Mm -hmm. We have to say, are we on the right track? Maybe. Or we have to say, are we, you know, what, how do you feel about this? Mm -hmm. Um, Because we can't, you know, as a, as a white woman, I can't make that decision. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there, there, I, it makes me think about how, you know, if we're saying, hey, person, you know, who is already marginalized, what do you think we should do about it? Or not even that, you know, um, making the decision on their behalf, assuming 
that we're doing the right thing. Like it, it kind of comes on both ends. And I think that really navigating that is mm-hmm. for starters, making sure you have a really good relationship with someone, yeah. having that dialogue, allowing mm-hmm. the openness for conversation, but then also like recognizing, okay, I'm not going to be the one to be able to make the decision. Mm-hmm. What we ended up doing was actually surveying our team and saying, what do you want to see? Mm-hmm. You know, what, how do you feel about this? And mm-hmm. this is where, this is what we stand for. This is what yeah. we believe in. So you're, you're safe here. But mm-hmm. what what are your thoughts? And so I love that um, that mentality. And I would encourage, and I've said this on previous episodes too, that I really think that companies have an obligation to make sure that they're outspoken about these things across the board. Um, yeah. Especially, I mean, we're seeing with the AAPI community, mm-hmm. there are similar, um, you know, uh, issues that are going on. And issues is such a light word for what's happening. You know, go ahead, Christina. No, I think you bring up a really great point. Um, And, you know, obviously with George Floyd, with Black Lives Matter, there has been a very heavy emphasis on um, Black Americans, African Americans. But um, I think oftentimes what has been happening now with Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders is that um, as a a group, they have often been silenced or dismissed and... um, Sometimes even, you know, there have been, you know, there's arguments that these two groups have been pitted against each other um, Mm -hmm. in ways that don't serve either of them, but serve others. And so sometimes I've known of other Asian Americans who don't even feel comfortable sharing uh, challenges or issues they've experienced because it almost becomes like an oppression Olympics of like, well, I don't have the right to share Mm. how I've been marginalized because maybe I haven't been as marginalized as this other group. Um, And so it's less about who's had it worse and just recognizing there are places that we can all be doing better. And that if we engage in these dynamic dialogues and where we um, are building cultures like your own that, that create these brave spaces that allow people to be candid and vulnerable and solutions oriented. Right. So Mm. at the end of the day we are looking to solve these issues even if it's long term even if you know there's it might not ever be fully 100% resolved we can certainly make you know progress over perfection i think is what i would say and then then just one final point to touch back to what anyeti said about the zero sum game mm-hmm. i think sometimes there's this concern that well if we only focus on women or we only focus on people of color these other groups well, we are now stunting their their mm. group, whether it's white folks, whether it's men, whether it's whatever. And again, false narratives, false um, pre- preconceived notions of what it means for everybody to succeed. Because at the end of the day, if we know the business case for DE&I and wellness is that um, these companies are more innovative, they attract and retain talent better, they are more profitable, their impact is greater, that drives business growth, that drives revenue, that drives increased um, job opportunities, advancement opportunities. So everybody is going to win, if you will, if we do this right. And and so, yeah, I just would want to emphasize that point for those who are maybe a little apprehensive to really proactively pursue this for that fear. It's, It's a false fear that you can dispel pretty quickly if you, you know, if you attack it head on. Oh, I love that. I'm not going to, uh, you know, disturb the sound waves. I'm going to leave it at that. That was, you both, I'm telling you, you're a tag team. I, I'm living for this. When We've been I working this, for I... three plus decades on it. We just didn't realize we were working on it for three plus decades. Right. 
Let's not forget about the pizza. I'm t- when when the world opens back up, where I think you both are located uh, in the South. Maybe? I'm in New York. She's in oh, Charlotte. In Charlotte but. Okay, so I'm also in New York, but and Yeti. Come on out to New York and we'll grab a slice. I can eat a whole pie on my own. So, you know, maybe I'll get a pie. And if you guys want a slice, you know, totally, totally up to you. I love it. So I have one more question before we go into a little break. Mm -hmm. And it's shifting gears a little bit. Um, But I'd love to just set the stage. We know that there are the teams right now and companies across all different Mm -hmm. industries are leaner. There are just as many, if not more, initiatives and projects. We know that nothing has stopped, right? How, in your opinions, can companies and organizations prioritize well-being and time off without making it feel like there's a sacrifice or enabling a sacrifice on deliverables? Sure, I love this question. Um, First of all, I'm a child of immigrants, so I know how to do a lot with a little, right? (laughs) So it's uh, really the question of the moment, right, that we're living in is how do we really leverage our resources and how do we really address the fact that, you know, folks are burning the candle at both ends in many regards, right? So when I think about this idea of virtual and remote teams, I always think, you know, well, I've been working remotely for years. This is nothing new. What is new is this blurring of lines between work and home, right? Where we've Mm. got more folks who are homeschooling kids, right? We've got more folks who are juggling, right? Multiple responsibilities. Maybe they're caring for um, sick ones um, in their family, you know, ill family members, or they're juggling without the support systems they would have typically relied upon because of the social isolation, right? So it has almost created this increased tension in the home, right? To figure out how are we doing? Well, we've seen that productivity has actually gone up we're actually working longer hours. We don't have the commutes, mm-hmm. right? And so we're able to sort of dive in early in the day and go till late late on in the evening, right? Without time for rest and recovery and recharge. So when I work with folks to think about how do we tackle this issue of prioritizing well-being, we've really got to look at how are we measuring success? How are we measuring success? So often we focus on productivity and output, right? And we value things like FaceTime, right? I've got to be able to see you in order to know that you're Mm -hmm. working. In this new environment, it requires a heightened level of trust, right? It requires a level of trust. Mm -hmm. Do I care if you do it at 4 p.m. in the afternoon or 4 a.m., right? When you have the energy and time and space, right? We got to think about how can we create more flexible working arrangements that accommodate more folks who have different needs and schedules, right? We think about this Mm -hmm. idea of like, let's get back to normal. Well, I would argue that this actually presents an opportunity for us to actually reimagine what the future of work and well-being look like. I I often ask the question, how well was normal serving you before, right? <laughs> a lot of these issues were at the surface, right? They were bubbling. Now they're busting through the seams because there's this spotlight, right, shining on the fact that we need to do better on this issue. And so really getting more creative will help us really imagine solutions that will not just be point in time solutions, but will really shape the future. The other thing I would say is the global workforce is rapidly shifting, right? Christina and I are engaging with clients all around the world, right, as we're grappling and dealing with these issues. And so even in the the U.S., right, we're seeing where companies are saying we don't need a physical real estate location. We don't need to have a brick and mortar office. Now that we see that virtual and remote work is working, now that means we can literally recruit across state lines. 
you don't have to be in a major city like New York or San Francisco to compete for this role. And so when it comes to attracting diverse talent, when it comes to being an employer of choice and creating a space where folks who have different needs and, and, and want to go after different opportunities are invited to the table to contribute and bring all the fullest of their authentic selves, it requires us to actually think at the policy level of what needs mm -hmm. to shift in order to, to make that a reality. So I think this unique opportunity we're in right now creates sort of a really perfect incubator in a way to test mm -hmm. out and experiment and play with it a bit, right? I think so often we feel sort of rigid and stuck to old models and old ways of being, but this is a new playing field. And in order for us to win and bring the richness of all of the talent that we want to invite to the table, we've got to move, right, in a different way than we're used to. I call it having more swagger, but you, you can call it whatever you want. I, listen, <laughs> I'm going to call it having more swagger, too, because I'm telling you, mm -hmm. I am here for it. I am like, I'm, you know, my wheels are spinning. I'm like, okay, who do I need to put Christina and Yeti in front of to make sure that our new normal mm -hmm. follows that, you know, guideline? I, it's so true. I don't want to go back to the new normal where I'm like, exhausted, sleeping on the subway, hopefully mm -hmm. not resting my head on a stranger's shoulder, but if so, thank you. Hashtag and been like, there, done that. Yeah, right? Oh, I've cried on the subway. I've had I, The subway <laughs> has seen it all for me, I'm telling you. But I mean, I really, I think about that. Like, I love being remote. Mm -hmm. I also love being in the office in, yeah. and there's a, there's a way to blend those two things. And, and, you know, and yet you bring up a really good point that we think about having to like, go back to that original framework that we have to go back to the normal, but this is an opportunity that we have just like over the summer, I think everything coming back to the racial and social justice, mm -hmm. everything was able to catch so much more steam this time mm -hmm. around because we know we've been here before, but I think it's because people were home. We were able to invest our time where we wanted to invest our time. I think it's also to the two points, whether it's the the pandemic piece and the burnout or the the racial social justice issues, unlike in any other time in history, everyone experienced everything mm. pretty much simultaneously and significantly, even if it was maybe from different spaces and places, right? So mm -hmm. when you see the George Floyd video, whether you're black, whether you're white, what it doesn't, you, there is a visceral reaction. And because we had more time on our hands, because we couldn't be distracted with our own fun things going on, we were stuck in mm -hmm. our homes. It, it had it had more time to sort of simmer and, 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 mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, really have its gravitas that it, it, that it could have sort of been swept under a rug again, if maybe all mm -hmm. those things weren't there. Same thing with the reimagining what work and wellness could look like in the past. You might've had a sort of a, a, an issue about why you're exhausted. This other person has their issue. Now everybody had everything going on. And even if you, again, personally weren't experiencing certain aspects, you had a close family member, you had a close colleague that was sharing those, those issues and challenges. And then it's causing everybody to say, well, wait a minute, I'm not alone, right? Because previous to this, you could have gone through thinking you were the exception to the rule. Everybody else on Facebook, everybody looks like they're having the time of their lives. Instagram, mm -hmm. you know, because we see all these highlight reels and then don't realize, oh, Everybody is feeling overwhelmed. Everyone feels exhausted. Everyone feels, you know, this, this massive burden. And I think it's allowed us to have um, more transparency um, and more um, 
feelings of not being alone, even while being alone, if that makes sense. It's more humanness, right? Back to the whole purpose Mm -hmm. behind this podcast. It is we are allowed to be more human, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we see the pets and the kids running in the background, it's, it's, we're getting to see a different side of all of our humanity through this yeah. lens, right. Which could be a zoom call with a colleague or what have you. It's creating, um, we're taking off the mask and putting them on at the same time. Right? You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, it's, yeah, it. hopefully creates a space for more authentic connection and more mm-hmm. meaningful connection and more empathy and understanding. Um, but certainly has accelerated the pace for sure. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Well, let us not stop there. You know, let's keep going. Let's accelerate further. So with that, we'll take a short break and we'll come back to all of the questions that we received through our DMs and messages that are super juicy. And I think that we're going to be getting some really good answers from both of you. So we'll be right back. All right. And we are back with Yeti and Christina. So this portion of our conversation is going to be an ask and answer really of questions that we received after launching our social media initiative, basically saying, hey, we're having this amazing conversation, get a piece of the pie now. So we have a few questions and and, uh, I'm really excited to hear both of your thoughts on these. So I'm going to jump right in. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the questions that I received was, why is DE&I just becoming a focus now or has it been around and not been prioritized? And Yeti, I know you kind of touched on this a little bit before too. So I'll start off and then I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. let Inyeti, uh elaborate. So I think simply it's not that it just started recently, mm-hmm. right? And I kind of would say there's been an evolution. So in the beginning, it was just D. It was just diversity. Mm-hmm. It was like, we've got to get more people into the organization, right, that are representative of the, the world. But then we realized it wasn't enough to have people around if they weren't being included, right? So the inclusion part was more about, okay, they're here now. Do they feel seen? Do they feel heard? Do they feel valued? Do they feel supported? Ooh, there goes my, sorry about that. Um, do they feel supported? Um, now that, that made progress. That was better. But then it was like, then we had to bring in equity because we realized, well, we have these people, we're seeing them, we're hearing them. Uh, are they actually having access though to different resources, opportunities. This is where we get into more of the structural pieces, right? So do you have mentorship programs, sponsorship programs? Are there clear advance advancement tracks for different people and that you're being intentional about how um, how how those are being created, developed, and implemented, right? And then even more recently, you've been hearing about B, right? For belonging, because we realized with just DE and I, you might still have people, you have everything in place, but it's maybe a little sterile. I don't, the B mm. for belonging is more about like, can I show up as my authentic self, right? Can I fully be who I am in, in the space that I work and not feel like I have to, again, what Yeti was saying, kind of put on this mask, right? To fit in or... So I think that's the, and then now we've also added what we call J for justice, right? So equity maybe is looking at those, those, those entry points that access, but J is really looking to see that it's 
it's actually resulting in something. I mean, yes, to a certain about a certain point with um, to a certain degree with equitable outcomes, but that J for Justice is pushing more um, to have this this. Um, I don't want to call it a moral imperative, though there might be some some ties to that. But it's more this sense of can you really justify who is where they are, that it's been intentional, that everybody's had um, equal uh, access and opportunity and can um, really contribute in the ways that is authentic to them. So, so even with all of that alphabet soup, what we still felt was missing was that W, right? That wellness. So I would say that's what really drove us to integrate that because even as great as all of those letters are and how much they do advance the mission um, and impact of an organization, that wellness piece is what grounds it back to, I think, that humanity piece, right? Like that we're human beings, not human doings, right? And some of that mm. other work is more, you know, grounded in things like productivity. Um, actually, this is a good, uh, I guess, segue for Anyeti to talk about something I know that's really um, something that she's passionate about. Great. I'm like, what am I passionate about? No, the thing about the team. <laughs> I'm on the, the edge of my seat, Tracy. <laughs> the team. Let's find what out. Teams. What makes a um, high-performing team? So the first part is productivity, and then there's the other yeah, two. So so yeah, so we look at this idea of high-performing teams, right? It's about, you know, are they um, productive? Are, is there an output? Are they leading and marching towards success? And so that has been the obsession of probably um, – many organizations for years and focusing laser focused on that performance. I think the second piece is there is this idea to Christina's point around belonging and cohesion, right? How well integrated do those folks feel as part of the broader team and how do they feel like their individual gifts and skills and talents are being utilized to drive team success? I think the third piece of that is really more around sort of, do I feel like my well-being is, is, the interest of my managers and my organization. Do I feel satisfied with my career, right? Which this gets to the broader sort of demographic shift. So years ago, right, my father is a great example, stayed with the same job for over 30 years, right? That is just not the case anymore. So when we think of Gen Z and others, right, who are now looking at, um, you know, choosing employers that are aligned to their values, right, this becomes more of a game changer, right? In addition to mm. candidates, right, driving the pace of change with who they choose to go to work for, we also have other things that are really shaking up the playing field from governmental contracts, right, who are now making requirements on who can actually play based off of how they are really addressing these issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, to uh, supplier diversity initiatives, right, which are now changing the game, to financial services, right, who are really looking at things like board diversity and other metrics, right, that really indicate how seriously a company is choosing to take these issues. And so when we look at the confluence of factors that is creating a perfect storm for this change of the way we're doing business, it is no wonder that folks are sitting up in their chairs and taking uh, a, you know, a closer look at these issues to say, how can we compete, right? How can we compete in this mm. new playing field? What do we need to have in place to be more effective? So I think this whole approach, when we think about wide dynamic dialogues, it is not just about the conversation we're having in the moment, right? A lot of organizations will be like, we need a workshop or a training. 
It is how are we actually shifting the culture? How are we actually shifting the way we do business so that we can compete and be um, relevant for years to come, right? Have sustainable growth, have competitive advantages that actually position the business to continue to grow. And so it really changes the dialogue from, you know, um, let's have a conversation and make sure that we're addressing the moment to how do we actually use that conversation as a catalyst to really position us for future and sustainable growth. This is awesome. One tip that I'll give to anyone listening or watching and something that I see as a super easy thing to implement, and I've been doing this really since we started interviewing again Mm -hmm. after reopening our stores, and that's in in interviews, I'm asking, what does inclusivity mean to you? What does DE&I mean Mm -hmm. to you? Because those are non-negotiable values for us. And Mm -hmm. so if you're not a champion of that, if you're not a champion of that value, it's not probably not going to work. So Mm -hmm. we should get it out there now. Um, But we're looking for champions of that. And so what does that mean to you? And it's interesting to get that message back. Sometimes people share their own personal Mm -hmm. experiences, which I love because it shows that they are open and they feel safe and all of those things. But you can kind of tell. And actually, I think people will drop out if they're not interested in Mm -hmm. being a part of the discussion that we are always going to talk about. So that's a a hot take for anyone that needs a quick, quick and easy implementation of that. A second question here, similar to the initiatives side Mm -hmm. of things, are there elements of the DE&I initiative that you feel are misrepresenting the priorities or that are distracting from the goals? So this person continued by saying, you mentioned wellness and DE&I being the path to harmony. Why isn't wellness a bigger part of the discussion for everyone? Okay, there's a lot there. So I'm going to start with the mm-hmm. first part. I think, um, so in this sort of post-George Floyd era, um, the first right? The first uh, trigger response was get our statements out. Some people were very quick. Some people were very slow. And then I feel like the next thing right behind that was we need to do an unconscious racial bias training. Now it's not that unconscious racial bias trainings in and of themselves are problematic, but they are problematic if it's a band-aid solution to something that requires like straight up surgery. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, and so we actually had conversations with existing and prospective clients where we somewhat talked ourselves out of that job and into something else before we could come back around to that. Because essentially, if you don't have a, a wider vision for your wide initiatives, right, and, and a strategic plan that's more robust, that's going to ground that training or workshop into something more meaningful, concrete, um, it's about understanding, for example, if you are going to be hiring and your your goal is to, you recognize, oh my goodness, we only have 5% people of color, 12% women, right? You're like, we have all these openings that are, are coming up. We want to make sure that we, we get a more expansive um, applicant pool and we want to hire more diverse talent. Well, that then grounds a um, unconscious racial bias training in the work, right? So as a hiring manager, here's some ways that bias might be creeping its way into the hiring process. And then Mm -hmm. also talking to people about, okay, now you've hired this more diverse set of of candidates. Um, Do you have anything in place that ensures it is an inclusive environment, that it's a psychologically safe environment for Mm -hmm. them, right? Because we do 
ourselves and others a dis a great disservice if it's almost it's irresponsible, quite frankly, to bring mm. somebody into an organization to have your numbers look better and then not be able to support this person right. um, to thrive, right? Because then what winds up happening is if somebody doesn't have that sense of belonging, doesn't have that genuine sense of inclusivity, doesn't have that equitable access to those opportunities and resources, um, they're going to exit stage left, right? And um, it just creates this other set of 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 challenges. Um, and then, and Eddie, I don't know if you want to also, we've talked about um, the chief diversity officer, the chief equity officer position. Um, again, that's not the problem. It's that siloed thinking that that kind mm. of happens with that. And I don't know if you want to illustrate more what that can look like and the challenges around it. Sure. I think that, again, back to this conversation of how do we shift towards more integrated and holistic approaches, the issue with those um, with those siloed ways of thinking is that those roles historically have not gotten the support they need, whether it's through resources, whether it's through dedicated commitments um, to really embed it and drive incentives across the organization. What we're seeing now is that folks are embedding their DEI targets into their um, incentive structures, into the way performance mm. is being measured and evaluated, into um, the way success is being defined, whether it's for an individual business unit or the organization at large, right? And so the ability for one area of the business, whether it's DEI in, in isolation, to be successful is largely tied to its ability to have the investments in terms of resources, in terms of funding, in terms of executive level commitments, in terms of representation at the highest level in the C-suite, right, to be able to really move those initiatives forward. And so um, I completely agree um, to Christina's point. It's taking a strategic look before we go to the tactical and the operational, the check the mm -hmm. boxing that, right, we may have, mm -hmm. have historically been used to is really taking more of a strategic eye to say, no, how can our wide initiatives actually be a catalyst for these other areas that we're trying to drive mm -hmm. towards? And so that way you're able to maximize with limited resources, right? Some organizations mm -hmm. might be too small to have a chief diversity officer. Mm -hmm. So how do you really maximize the effectiveness and efficacy of those initiatives? It really takes a more strategic eye. Yeah, and I think is, even the, um, we've pushed people beyond thinking of DEI initiatives as their own initiative, as she was saying, and saying, this is really, what's, where's your leadership development, right? Like, cause when it comes to a lot of times with, with, um, DEI, the, the holdup will be the budget, right? This isn't in our budget, but it's like mm -hmm. most organizations have pretty robust budgets when it comes to talent development, leadership development. And really that's DEI should be strongly integrated into those aspects of an organization. And so I think it's also getting, um, creative with where you think DEI falls in, in an organization's uh, priorities and um, execution. Yeah, this is a, a, a point, actually a question that came up, um, a different question, which is who should really own DEI and wellness initiatives? And some companies have it in the HR function, some people have an L&D, others have their own roles for that. And so you kind of answer that question, both of you in different ways. Do you think that in terms of like looking ahead, how can you foresee, and I realize that this is not what I intended to ask because that's this is okay. not what the person submitted, but you know, what do you see for the future of DE&I and, or really I should say wellness DE&I mm -hmm. initiatives? Like, do you see it 
taking on its own section of the business while so long as it's not so load, siloed? So I'll tackle that one first and then Christina, you can also um, add mm-hmm. in your perspectives. I think the bigger question is like, who do we want to be as an organization, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm a former business strategy consultant, right, for Fortune 10 clients, right? So the way that one company A plays is very different than company B because they have a different set of strategic assets, capabilities, competitive advantages. And so they move in different ways. I think the starting point before we get to the organizational design is asking the question, who do we want to be, right? So we advise Mm -hmm. organizations in that early upfront visioning positioning to really say, you know, do I want to be more pioneering, right? And really be leading the charge and driving forward. Would I rather be a fast follower and be more visionary in this stage and really wait to see what other organizations are doing well and then quickly adapt those capabilities? So it really gives them an opportunity to define their identity, right? To make the organization more human Mm -hmm. in terms of really understanding who do they want to be when they grow up when it comes to their wide initiatives, right? And starting from that starting point then allows everyone to have a hand in defining that identity and then have um, a vested interest in bringing that identity to life, right? I think a lot of times we go straight to the tactical when we really need to be thinking about, okay, what's the broader um, mission, vision, and values of the organization? Mm -hmm. How are we shaping a culture? And who do we want to be when we grow up? And how do we march towards that? I think that gets us away from just doing things that may seem performative or may just seem um, like we're really following what others are doing, which may not even be done that effectively, right? It's really saying, no, how do we want to play in our own way, in a way that is authentic to our organization? And I think that opens up way more possibilities than just sort of the perfunctory checking the box sort of task. Right. That's great. I love that. Thank you for answering that uh, spur of the moment question. Moving back to the questions that we received, this is um, kind of more of a thematic question because I received a few, and this kind of comes back to the psychological safety. Mm -hmm. Um, So I received a few questions like this. There seems to be a concern around whether or not people can express their opinions about DE&I and initiatives if it's in opposition to the organization's opinions. So from your perspective, how do companies handle that? Is it okay? Because it seemed like in these questions, people were asking, am I allowed to take to have a different opinion? Am I allowed mm-hmm. to express that I don't agree? And and is the even if a company does encourage psychological safety, how, you know, when when am I supposed to keep my mouth shut? <laughs> and when can I uh, you know, share my opinions, if at all? Well, so, you know, our motto is create brave spaces, grow bold leaders, right? And so in order to do that, um, we talk about shifting from awkward silence to dynamic dialogues, right? This idea that um, oftentimes the silence might come from different sources, right? So sometimes you might be sort of emotionally speechless at something that's happened either societally or even internally in the organization. So your silence is sort of stemmed in that. Then you have other people whose silence is really grounded in fear, right? Like fear of saying the wrong thing. Um, And I'm going to put that in quotes, right? Mm -hmm. The wrong thing. And I think what happens when you create a brave space and you have a generosity of spirit, this is where culture is key, right? When you build a culture where people feel 
um, feel that psycho psychological safety of being able to be candid about their feelings because we can't judge feelings, right? Feelings, you feel what you feel, right? Now, some feelings might be grounded in more of a um, objective reality than others, but then there's ways that we can, through the dynamic dialogue, right, help people to see things from a different perspective that may shift the emotions that they feel. Um, and sometimes it may not, and that's okay too. And so we have um, like our wide essentials toolkit of like how to they're really essentially like sentence stems and that might sound kind of cheesy like but it's more about when an organization has a common language and a common way to address something then it doesn't have to be awkward right because it's mm -hmm. like well this is how I enter this type of conversation and it's not like you have to use it word for word but it just gives you sort of the the sentiment around sure. initiating that dialogue and there's ways of initiating that dialogue when you suspect you might have said something that was offensive. There's a way to initiate the dialogue when you want to convey to somebody and let them know that they that they offended you and probably didn't realize that they offended you. Mm. Then there's just sort of generic entry points of dialogue where there's just maybe um, some varying opinions on a, on a certain matter, right? And so I think when you allow people to speak candidly and say, I can, I can disagree, I can respect what you're saying and, and disagree, respectfully disagree with what you're saying and then share with you my perspective on it. Um, it just creates a different um, opportunity for growth and progress to be made. I know, and Yeti, you also have um, some thoughts well, on I this. Think Tracy, your points, you bring up really real and valid concerns, right? Um, it's not just enough to have uh, folks at the table, but do they feel seen, heard, valued, right? So I was just reading mm -hmm. an HBR article that reported that something like 42% of Black women do not feel comfortable speaking up about their perspectives, experiences on, you know, racial equity issues in the workplace, right? They don't feel, it was like 22% don't feel um comfortable speaking about how these current events have impacted um, their communities, their families. So, so it is mm. a very real concern and um, is mm. why creating these spaces is actually, um, there's a greater urgency, right? Um, because if you're not able to bring your full self and you're not able to actually have the difficult conversations to get to the solutions, right? You're hindering progress for all involved, right? And so it is a delicate mm. balancing act of, um, driving a new conversation, right? Because folks are like, I've been in these trainings before, right? What's going to change now? It's really thinking about, no, how mm -hmm. do we approach this from a new angle that actually um, creates more access, right, to decision-making um, than we have typically seen in the past so that we can actually create solutions that are, are serving the whole person. So when you, whenever you feel like you've got to leave right. parts of yourself, at the door when you enter into the workplace. Even harder now that we're all working from home, right? Imagine the psychological stress, the mental health implications mm -hmm. of that. And then we're seeing very real health disparities um, that are happening as a result of this pandemic. And so it is an acute issue that needs to be addressed so that we can create um, spaces where folks are able to fully um, bring themselves to the table. And sorry, Amazing. I would also say that there's yeah. a false sense that like silence, I'll just silence myself because I don't want to ruffle, like I don't want to rough the waters yeah. and 
really what that does, it just kicks the can down the road because what happens is things fester and um, it's going to, it's going to emerge again, but this time now there's going to be more resentment. There's going to be, and it just creates, it further exacerbates um, misunderstandings, right? So if you, if people understand that, like I have this shirt from my gym that says, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like that is really the mantra everybody has to have when it comes to um, DE&I conversations because you can't you can't only have comfortable conversations. They're going to be uncomfortable. They're just, there's, there's, discom- there's discomfort in it by nature. Um, and we actually, as part of like our, our ground rules, one of the thing, last things we say is to expect and accept non-closure. Right, that a lot of these issues and and challenges, there's no way to put a nice little bow at the end of them. They're ongoing, right. and it's more important to again initiate the dialogue that can then continue to create that progress and um, and transformational uh, that transformation that's needed. I think that's both of your points are incredible, and and I'm sure that whoever's listening who has that question is going to walk away feeling like, okay, I've got it. I've got the, some of the tools in my mm-hmm. tool belt. And it also makes me think about the beauty of having, you know, uh, people who are going to present the devil's advocate approach to mm-hmm. you as a leader. I mean, I always say to my partners, if I always agree with you, or if you always agree with me, we are stunting each other's growth. Mm-hmm. Like we have to challenge each other. And and I have found, and I'm sure that you both have found as well in your careers, that it's the individuals who accept and expect, the, I love that, <laughs> who, who are really open to yeah. that and, op- and not defensive. You know, c- certainly there's emotion involved. Maybe yeah. sometimes it stings, but, you know, we have to get over it a little bit. Mm-hmm. It, that's, it, it's someone caring about your success. That's mm-hmm. how I see feedback, and it's something that I talk about often because the more open we are to that discomfort, and I'm, I'm going to have to get that gym shirt because I need to be a little bit more uncomfortable with the pain of working out too. Um, but, you know, that that's where growth happens. And and this makes me think of all of the leadership trainings that I've thought of around mm-hmm. or I've taken around um, like the comfort zone mm-hmm. and working outside of the comfort zone and even relating it back to exercise. If you yeah. just keep doing the same exercise, your muscles aren't going to change yeah. at all. Like mm-hmm. your body's not going to change at all. But once you switch it up, mm-hmm. that's when you really see that progress. So thank you so much for your answers on that. I have two more questions for you and I'm going to move them around a little bit okay. because I actually want to save one for the end. Someone asked, what questions can I ask during interviews that will help me understand a company's position related to DE&I and wellness? So, you know, this is one that I think is coming up more and more as um, folks have higher expectations for their employers, right? We often say consumers are focused, they're voting with their wallets and um, employees are voting with their feet when it comes to um, where they invest their time and their energy. And so, Um, It's important to come in eyes wide open on these issues, right? And asking the questions Mm -hmm. of um, what policies are in place, right? Um, What um, recent investments has the organization made um, to demonstrate their commitment? Um, Looking at representation and leadership, right? To see how they're living out their um, values. I often think of like organizations as 
citizens of their communities, right? The communities where they reside, whether that's the global Mm. community or the local communities that they serve. And so really getting clear on what what are the company values and how well do they align to my own, right? Understanding. So we think about Mm. folks who are interested in things like sustainability and how products are made and sourced, right? It's the same when it comes to the companies that we're working with, right? How well do those values align to my own? And so getting really clear early in the decision-making process is really valuable to be able to um, really um, assess and and see, is this going to be, I don't like to use the word fit, but is this going to (laughs) be a fit with my, where I see my, my career going, right? A lot of times when organizations hire, they they look at this idea of culture fit, right? Do they fit in? What that really means is, did they go to the same school as I did, right? Did they remind me of myself? Did we grow up in a similar community, right? When we really need yeah. to be hiring for culture ad, right? What are the unique identities, right? And experiences and backgrounds that they add that actually rich in the pot, right? That actually create more, um, oh, love that. a more dynamic workplace, right? And so it's the same way as we're thinking um, when we're applying for roles to really be proactive with thinking about how can I actually flourish in this environment rather than sort of just um, Mm. accepting a role um, where I may not really be able to bring my full self to work? I don't know, Christina, if you had additional thoughts on that as well. Yeah, no, I think, I think you pretty much covered everything. It's um, seeing if they have uh, maybe metrics around some of those things. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a company will be like, you know, we're committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you're like, well, how do you measure that success, right? Like, is it based on, you know, you're increasing uh, representation, you are increasing um, people in certain leadership roles, um, you're expanding on actual positions, um, right? So maybe it is creating that chief diversity officer position um, and and including it in the C-suite, right? Like that was one Mm. of the things that I think... um, maybe we forgot to, t- to touch upon in one of the earlier questions is that in order for wide initiatives to really um, be taken seriously and to really drive the business growth or the organization's growth, that person has to be in a authorizing position or at least very oh. close to those who are in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that is another thing that I think people can take into consideration. Right. I mean, so much of culture is top down, but it's also Mm -hmm. bottom up. I mean, Mm -hmm. every single person contributes to the culture, but I do think that if the top down initiative isn't there, the top down approach or the support isn't there, the bottom up culture will never, it just will never happen because there's no place for it. So I think that's a really good point. And then Yeti, I saw that you were going to say something. Oh, I was going to say that there are informal ways as well, like beyond the interview, I would like to see, you know, what are the leaders of that business doing right in their communities on Mm. LinkedIn as I'm engaging with, right. There's so many informal Mm. ways to test out and understand is an organization living out its culture and values or um, is it not a place where I see folks who are actually modeling that behavior? Because it's one thing to get a list of values printed on a paper, right, um, in a handout. And it's another to actually see those values lived out. So I think that's another way to do it in an informal way. I want to add, this is maybe more for the employer than the prospective employee, but one of the things that we integrated intentionally into the 21-Day Harmony journey 
um, there was like this sort of game where people were going to take pictures of, I think it was them in their um, doing, do, I don't know if it was the playful living one or something. And we, we put a hashtag and it was intentional to put the hashtag because it's a way for the organization to show we care about our people. Our people mm. have fun. This is something that we promote, you know? So it's like yeah. organizations thinking of ways that they can even internally, not just like campaigns, like a Nike, just do it campaign or whatever. I know I just aged myself because <laughs> nobody is even saying just do it anymore, but you know what I'm saying? So this idea that um, there are ways for employers to show prospective employees that they're, you know, with it and mm. um, that this is at the forefront of, um, their thoughts and their actions when it comes to, you know, wide initiatives. Amazing. Amazing. Well, my final question that I received from uh, someone out in the internet sphere is actually really about values. So we tied it together really nicely. And while Christine, I think it was you who said that sometimes there isn't that closure with the accept mm -hmm. and accept expect and accept that there won't be that closure. We are going to have some nice closure today <laughs> with being able to tie in the values. I'm telling you. So this question is uh, starts with a statement. We grow up learning that everyone has their own values set. How can companies work to foster harmony, so they took the word, between individual values and company values? And you both already kind of touched on this, but I think really thinking about, I think it comes back to the psychological safety a little bit again. Mm -hmm. Like I have my value set, the company has their value set. I align on some of it, but how can we get both the individual and the company to really um, foster that harmony. Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first, Andy? Go for it. Okay. So um, I guess I want to start by saying people don't have to get too philosophical, right, about <laughs> the idea behind this. Because to your point, Tracy, there's a ton of things that throughout my career I've disagreed with when it comes to an organization. And I think it's sort of you you speak up and you share your perspective. Sometimes that perspective is well-received and it actually results in some sort of policy or practice change. And other times it's received with, thanks for letting us know, we're going to keep it pushing, right? And so, so long as the... Um, the conflict there is not something that is, um, I guess, what's the word I look at? It, that is not substantive enough to have that much of a reaction to it. Then I mm. think you just, you live and let live, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's only becomes a problem when the organization engages in a line of thinking or, or, or is grounded in certain values that are so antithetical to everything mm. you stand for. And I think that's where you as an individual have to make a decision about, is this like, right. is this where I draw the line? And for some, and sometimes it may be, does that come become complicated when your job is also attached to your paycheck that pays for your survival? Absolutely. So I'm not saying that in a trite way, like, Oh, if you don't like sure. it, just quit. But then maybe you're still staying there, you're working, but you're looking to exit stage left and you're figuring out the pieces that you need to do that. On the flip side, I think organizations have to also think about the fact that this is how their employees are likely thinking. And Yeti brought up the good point about, you know, customers voting with their wallets and employees voting mm -hmm. with their feet. Employers should never get comfortable and, and feel like assume that everything is good and their employees are just going to stay with them because they send them a check every two weeks, right? They have to 
recognize that there has to be integrity in what they're doing and that that talk and walk are aligned. I think for the most part, most organizations, again, the ones that we see on the plaques or on the the website, it's kind of like religions, right? Nobody's saying anything particularly crazy. And like, it's all generally like love each other, care for those in need, you know, be respectful. Like, Mm -hmm. so I think it's more about if you feel the, the lived out values are, are not in alignment. That's where you have to kind of make those decisions. Yeah. And I would say this is an actual opportunity for us to use values in a more, um, dare I say, provocative way, right? Like that we actually mm-hmm. can use it in a way that um, is, is evolving, right? Evolves with the times. Mm-hmm. And so this is a time where organizations need to revisit their values and say, how well are mm-hmm. those values serving us? How have the times we're living in and operating in shifted and changed and what is now being required of us, right? So that we can be prepared Mm. for the future. And so I think of this in terms of innovation, right? Like a lot of times you talked about Mm -hmm. being uncomfortable, being comfortable with being uncomfortable or embracing um, conflict or um, folks who may have disagreements, Mm -hmm. like different positions where they stand. And part of that, that tension of ideas and the clash of ideas and ideals creates innovation that is where innovation Mm -hmm. is born and so we need to be inviting that conversation to challenge and push the envelope on our values and how well we're living them out particularly to be responsive to the emerging needs of a more diverse workforce and so this is a perfect time to be having those conversations Mm -hmm. on culture and values this is a perfect time for for employees within organizations to really be mm-hmm. um, operating in a bolder way, right? Making bolder moves mm-hmm. as it relates to these conversations because without that space for um, dialogue, for um, that cross-pollination of ideas, we're not able to actually respond to what's happening in the current moment. So I would say this is not a business as wow. usual moment. This is a time where the status mm-hmm. quo is being disrupted. And so we all have to sort of elevate our game, right? Elevate our dialogue and our discourse, create more dynamic dialogues that actually allow us to, you know, chart a wider path that serves. Drive that change, yeah. Yeah. Wow. All I can say is wow, truly, at this point. I mean, I feel like I'm going into the rest of my day and week with tools that I I felt like I had tools, like, that Mm -hmm. I was equipped with, but now I feel... Um, just such a sense of inspiration from you both. And and actually, I think what you both do really well is you talk about um, DE&I and wellness or WIDE mm-hmm. in a way that is enjoyable and exciting yeah. and not like heavy and exhausting mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. when you spend so much time thinking about, oh my gosh, I have people in my organization who don't feel accepted, who mm-hmm. feel marginalized, who haven't had an equitable opportunity or whatever organizations might be going through emotionally, it's like so intense. And I think, and Yeti, you had said that it doesn't have to be so formal. It doesn't have to be this big, you know, to do. It can really be those small low hanging fruit moments where we just like come together and create that harmony. So I just really appreciate both of you so much. I just, I'm sorry. I have to say this, like I, one, I, I love that that came across because I think that is part of, um, how we're disrupting the industry in a way, because, Um, it's, I think where it gets really hard and heavy is when an organization looks at 
all that is wrong in the world and thinks they have to solve that, right? You as an organization, you're not, that burden. <laughs> you're, you're not responsible for all of the world's ills. But what right. you can do is hold a magnifying glass to your, you know, four walls or now that the four walls are maybe <laughs> not there. But you know what I'm right. saying? Figure out what in your organization or institution, how these larger societal issues trickle their way into your organization. And then yes, go for those small, quick wins and build upon them um, because you're not going to stay at the low hanging fruit, but it's an entry right. point And it's a way to recognize that when you do put forth your efforts, you can make progress. Right. A hundred percent. I, I really appreciate it so much. And yeah, I, I'm feeling such joy. I mean, I want everyone to, I want everyone to hear this yeah. first of all. And I want everyone to uh, that has an opportunity to work with you both and Wide Dynamic Dialogues to do so because I don't see anyone else disrupting this space the way that you both are. And so I really commend you. And I promise you, I am going to find a way to uh, bring you on board on my side of the fence. I promise. I, you know, I have my ways. I have my ways yeah. of uh, figuring things out. If it's not today, I play a long game. Yeah, so, you know, it's a marathon, watch not out. a sprint. Right. Watch out. Here I am running my first marathon. No. Um, in closing, because I do want to be mindful of your time, if organizations are interested in working with you, where can they find you? How can they reach out? To learn more about Wide Dynamic Dialogues, you can visit our website at widedynamicdialogues.com. That's widedynamicdialogues.com. Um, you're also welcome to follow Christina and I on LinkedIn. We love to connect with, engage with folks. Um, she's the CEO and founder at Head Hard Hands Consulting. You can find her on LinkedIn at Christina Farinacci Roberts, and I am the CEO and founder and Chief Swagger Officer at Edem Spark. And you can find me on LinkedIn at Anyeti Essien. So um, yes, we're thrilled to connect and keep the dialogue going if something here sparked your interest for sure. Amazing. And I will put all of the links to your contact information, your website, your LinkedIn's and everything um, in the description of the podcast and on my website and on this YouTube channel. Amazing. Thank you both so much for being a part Thank of this you. launch. Oh my gosh. I, truly, I oh. won't even be able to fill your shoes, okay? Like, <laughs> I the next the next episode is literally just me, so I'm going to probably have to start by saying, okay, no, I'm going to bore you already because nothing is going to compare to that. But I mean, I would in the future, we're going to have to come back and Absolutely. connect and see how things have Maybe changed. Maybe we get I mean, to I... have a quarterly feature here, something. Oh my gosh. Hey. <laughs> Hey, you heard it here first, people. It's happening. You should, you know, I'm really good at following up. I Tracy, will, I will. I will say that for down. anybody. Tracy, we were, and Yen and I were giggling because, you know, on our Clifton Shrinks execution sometimes um, with things like this, you know, we're a little, well, your emails might, you know, might be a 48 hour window instead of a 24 hour window, but we're like, Tracy is keeping us on, on point. <laughs> and you know what? It's, it's, sometimes it's really just for me because I'm like, if I don't do this, yeah. it's going to be messy. I got I to gotta hold myself accountable. No, I, I know that you both are so busy doing really incredible things that inspire me every day. And I'm so happy that we were able to connect and, and put this information out there. And so thank you so much for your time and for all of your nuggets of wisdom. I know that uh, the the wisdom is we we just this was the tip of the iceberg, as they say, because you both are extremely wise, intelligent people, and I 
I'm just so excited to keep the connection going and and I hope you have a great rest of your week. So for everyone listening, watching, please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. And you can also subscribe on YouTube now. So please make sure you do that. Yes. Let us know what you think. And you know, we we want to hear in the comments on YouTube and we want to hear in our DMs like what what sparked your joy from this conversation and what interested you. What are you bringing back to your communities and organizations that maybe don't exist today? And so with that, I am going to say thank you so much and see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.